Welcome, welcome, welcome to everybody's favorite cinema podcast, Looking California and Feel Minnesota. I am the Looking California portion of the program. My name is Michael McCaffrey. I am an acting coach and a writer, and I'm sometimes in Southern California, but not this time. And I am joined by none other than everybody's favorite Minnesotan, Barry Anderson. Barry, what's going on, buddy? Not a whole lot. Uh, we we survived. Uh... I don't know what you want to call it, but we survived the Oscars and uh, our predictions uh, weren't terrible. <laughs> we, they weren't terrible. They also weren't great. They weren't great, but they weren't terrible. And in the year where we were like, we have no idea what's happening, uh, I, I would say we did pretty well. So for those that didn't listen to our Oscar predictions, you can go back and uh, check out that episode and then go, wow, they were horribly wrong on these categories. And uh, yeah, so here we are. So I thought I thought we should continue since we didn't get through all the Academy o- award nominated movies prior to the awards we saw them but didn't get to talk about them i thought we'd talk about one of the one of the i don't know what you want to call it it was one of the contenders it won it, it has a win and uh i thought we should talk about promising young woman yes promising young woman which is something that is a label often put on you barry that yes. that you are You've often been labeled the promising I mean, I don't, I don't know at what age the promising part just wears off. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? It's no longer untapped potential. It's yeah, just, it's just, no, you, you, you got nothing going on, man. There's, there's nothing there. Nothing happening. Nothing there. Um, okay, so Promising Young Woman, which came out, uh, to do, oh, wow. It came out, uh, actually premiered at Sundance last January, and it its release date in the U.S. was in it was on Christmas Day. Um, pretty interesting. Oh, it's, a, it's a great Christmas movie, by the way. It is. For it's a fun Christmas it, movie. Yeah. Gather the kids around. Gather the kids and family around. Yeah. It's Christmas 2021. <laughs> You'll love it. It is written and directed by Emerald Fennell, uh, or Fennell. I, I'll say Fennell, and um, who just won an Academy Award for her screenplay, Best Original Screenplay. The film stars Carrie Mulligan. Bo Burnham, Alison Brie, Jennifer Coolidge, uh, Laverne Cox, and Connie Britton. And it's got a budget. It says here a budget of between five and 10 million, and its box office has been 13 um, million, which, you know, considering it's, it wasn't on a streaming service, you could get it video on demand or actually go to a theater and see it. That's not bad. You know, it's yeah. pay, well, paying I, that I kind of money. Say, I would say that you know, well over 70% of the movies we talk about, we mentioned the budget, then you slap your forehead and be like, who stole the money? I would say that when you said the budget in this one, I was like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> they squeezed a lot out of that budget because it looks, yeah. does not look like a cheap movie. True. And, you know, it doesn't look cheap. It, it, it has been somewhat well-received. It did receive five Oscar nominations, including Best Picture, Best Director, and, and Best Actress. Um, so it, it's an interesting movie and this is going to be an interesting discussion because um i feel like the movie's been out long enough that we should maybe give away some spoilers yeah i I think we gotta warn people yeah i agree with you the problem is is it's been like you have to pay for it yeah so i i think most of our audience you know unless they're you know huge fans of the oscars and trying to fit them in you know it's that sort of thing where if you want this to be a fresh experience and you haven't watched it yet just wait on this episode because i don't think we can really dive into it with great depth if we just stay away from all yeah spoilers. It, it's it's uh there's a lot of sort of twists and turns in the story which but which, in, in, in in a nod to the filmmakers i don't want to spoil that like you know i mean like some movies it doesn't really matter i feel like this one you know if you're interested in seeing it and you want to watch it on your own you know if you're not sure and you want to listen to this podcast to find out whether or not it's worth your time just be aware that some of the the plot twists and stuff will not be as fresh would be the word. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So promising young woman is the story is it's sort of, it's, it's described as a black comedy thriller. Uh, I I'm not, I'm not sure about any of that. I don't know how to label it, but they didn't ask. Yeah. They, they didn't ask. And it's about a woman um, who, her name's Cassie. She's 30 years old. She lives with her mom and her dad. And she works at a coffee shop. And she seems pretty depressed and pretty beaten down by life. And we come to learn that she is a medical school dropout 
and she dropped out because her best friend um, had committed suicide uh, after she was raped at medical school. And that's the, that's the basic premise. And then the movie sort of goes on this journey of Cassie looking to get revenge on people. Now, Cassie's whole thing is that she'll go out every night to clubs and bars and look like a floozy and act totally, totally drunk and have guys try and take advantage of her. And then at the, the, uh, the perfect moment when they're alone and the guy's making some inappropriate move, um they she sobers up yep and so that that's the thing and she sort of shames the guy and it's all about like sort of date rape and rape and and sexual assault and all these things and cassie being this sort of um intriguing (laughs) superhero uh fighting against that that uh horrible thing so that's where the movie opens and you sort of go along on these dates and you see all these, her luring men to try and be inappropriate with her. And then everything sort of goes from there. So Barry Anderson from Minnesota, which in the intro, we forgot to say that you are a filmmaker in Minnesota. You're not just some schlub off the street that we're I mean, those aren't mutually exclusive. I should correct me. You Have are you... a schlub off the street who happens to be a filmmaker. I don't I don't know if you've ever been to Sundance, <laughs> but when you hang around a director's group, uh, that might be the most apt word for uh, a lot of my 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 peers. Yes. All right. So, Barry, what did you think of Promising Young Woman? This may be amongst the more complex movies to digest and talk about of recent movies that we've done. So I'm going to try to I'm going to try to be broad and then I think we're going to go down a few rabbit holes. I would say on the whole it's a flawed movie. It's not a bad movie, but it's definitely not a great movie. And I think my biggest complaint is the fact that it's a movie that seems like it has a point or like a message it wants to get across. But I feel like it is lost, muddied, and ultimately somewhat empty um, in the way that it pulls it off. And I'll be curious to kind of you know dive into why I think that might be or hear some of your, your thoughts on it. But I will state this, that I really like the original concept. Like, you know, when you see the preview and you kind of hear it, you're like, oh, okay, you know, I, I can get behind that. And then Carrie Mulligan did we do the dig yet have we talked about that i think we did that as a podcast well anyway we, we I, I watched it, it. I, I can't yeah, I don't know if we did. did it i don't remember if we did it or not but carrie mulligan's had an interesting career and been in interesting movies and i'm gonna start off with a hard question right off the bat because i think she did a, a remarkably good job in this movie but more so than her acting or her character i think she had i can't think of shoulders that you could arrest this movie on and not had it gone off the rails more than Carrie Mulligan. I think she, she kept things on a fine tightrope in terms of not getting too overly sexual, not getting overly bitter, not getting overly like, you know, kick ass, you know, you know, almost, you know, the horrible Jennifer Lopez movie enough where, you know, she learns to box and can, you know, destroy the men, you know, it was, it was, I thought that she was the anchor for the whole movie. And I got to give, I, you know, I'd be curious if you were the studio boss, would you recast her? Do you have a better option? Or do you think Carrie Mulligan was the, the good choice for this one? You know, it's interesting. Um, there was a controversy around this whole movie and Carrie Mulligan when a, I think it, it was a, it was a review after it came out in Sundance. I think it was, the review was in Variety. It may have been the Hollywood Reporter. I can't remember. And the the critic wrote that Mulligan was not pretty enough to play the part. And Margot Robbie is a producer on this film. And the critic wrote, Margot Robbie should have played this role, which probably in development that was on the table at one point. I'm sure. And, and, you know, if if Margot Robbie, you know, had bought the script, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So 
and and this critic Carrie Mulligan spoke out against this critic it became a big to do it went back and forth and Variety or the Hollywood Reporter I can't remember which one they actually kept the review up but wrote a disclaimer above it which is stunning in the journalistic world basically saying this is inappropriate this reviewer shouldn't talk about women like this and judge them on their looks and it's all these sorts of things and it's shocking in a journalistic sense that that's the case i write film reviews and i actually get paid to write these things (laughs) and i'm like if somebody did that to me i would be like okay wait till you see the next thing i write (laughs) because that's not happening and the funniest part of it all is that the 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 critic is, you know, this middle-aged gay man who's not like, you know, slobbering all over Margot Robbie's just yeah. sort of making a, a point. I think it's the wrong point, by the way. I disagree with that point, yeah. but I don't disagree with his his right to sort of, as a film critic, to critique the film. That's a critique, a legitimate critique. So I think Carrie Mulligan is, I think she's a, a fantastic actress who I wish worked more. Um, I, I just really, really have always liked her and liked her work. And in this movie, I think you're exactly right. She is perfect for the part. She is, now look, if, if we, if Carrie Mulligan walked into any room in which we were in, she would be the most beautiful person we'd ever seen in person. <laughs> you know, like we would just be like, that's not possible. Yeah. But in a Hollywood movie, like this is the world we live in, um, she's approachable and accessible and yet still appealing. She's not, she's not Margot Robbie, yeah. right? And so she seems like a real person. And that makes this work because if you saw Margot Robbie at some bar falling over drunk, you'd be like, oh, come on, this is absurd you know like what what are we doing but with carrie mulligan she seems like a real person and that makes her in terms of being a victim much more believable and it makes the entire premise believable and she's she's terrific in this film because she's there is a fragility to her she's a very slight woman and yet she's able to turn on a dime to have these this sort of steely knives come out of her eyes in particular when yeah. she she makes that decision so i think she's really great in the film i i if she had won i sort of wanted her to win the academy award um and wouldn't have been surprised if she did i think she's terrific it's a very nuanced and complex role to play and she does it wonderfully and I don't think you could cast someone else in this. Yeah, I don't don't think so. I I, I can't. There's just nobody who checks all those boxes. There's just nobody. She, up until this point, this movie's not like a, this isn't like her Titanic moment or something like that, where now she's an international superstar. She's been a really great actress that nobody really knows. Like, you don't open a Carrie Mulligan movie. Like, you don't, you know, it's not Margot Robbie. It's not Gail Gadot, you know, where you launch a franchise based off her name. Yet, in this movie, she has the gravitas that you would say, like, an it factor, like a Tom Cruise or something like that would have that, you know, irrespective of their acting talent, they have to be able to basically sit there on screen and have people be, you know, completely captivated. And I feel like that is a very, very hard thing to do. And I think she pulled it off marvelously. And with yeah, that I... said, with that being said, I think my flaws have less to do with her acting and more about the character arc and some of the script choices. And I think in the greatest movies, and this is what we always talk about, we're, we're trying to push the medium to be better. I think this is a very worthwhile discussion to be having. You know, <laughs> is our culture, you know, is there a section of our culture that's out there preying on women and looking for this and that whole debate of, you know, well, do they have it coming to them or do they put themselves in a bad spot? You know, it, it not that it would ever justify it, but these are questions that people kind of banter about. And I think this is the perfect type of movie to actually 
make people think, maybe turn it on your head a little bit where you're like, oh, I've never thought of it that way. And I feel like this movie was just teed up to be like very rich and nuanced. And I think they tried. And I think that's where it fell short because I think the premise stayed too close to the revenge. You know, <laughs> the men are bad. And, you know, we just want to have kind of this one message come through. And I think it waters down the the broader impact the movie could have had. Yeah, I mean, my general take on the film is similar to that. I, I think, <laughs> ironically enough, you know, with the title Promising Young Woman, the film is just bursting with potential. And ultimately, unfortunately, it is not, uh, that potential is not fulfilled. And I think the reasons for that, it's certainly not Carrie Mulligan, no. Um, she is, she's fantastic. I think the problem is it's a great idea. And Emerald Fennel is um, an interesting director. This is her first feature, um, the first time she's done this. And so I couldn't help but think, oh man, I wish this was like her third film. Yeah, I, I, I think if she could have revisited the same film after yeah. having a couple under her belt, I th I think you could have really squeezed more out. But I still don't, without being in the room and knowing, you know, between Margot and uh, Carrie and herself, was this a, like, was the impetus to make a certain point? Was that like the end goal? Because I remember, I remember, I, I didn't like the movie, but the... Uh, and I'm sure they're going to roll over in the grave when I make this comparison, but the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, um, oh my gosh, what's the name? They did Dumb and Dumber. Uh, what's the brother's names? Uh, oh, uh, Green Book? No, no, the, the, the directors. Uh, uh, oh, jeez. Uh, the Ferrelli. Uh, yeah, the Ferrelli brothers. brothers. Well, th when they were working on, um, there's something about Mary, they were kind of constrained to, you know, this is a romantic comedy and they have to end up together, you know, camera Diaz, and they were just getting stuck. And then one day they realized, wait, what happens if they don't get together? And then everything came together. And I think when you're exploring a story like this, if there's a pin on the map and you have to get there by any means necessary, I think sometimes then you end up going through bogs and messes that aren't as clean as if you just followed the landmass to get there. And I feel like especially near the end, it just kind of, it dragged us to the, <laughs> the inevitable conclusion when you were like, oh, but that was, you know, over here there's mountains and over here there's like the ocean and you got all the stuff that you could explore and, you know, take in and, and think about. And yet we just kind of got, you know, get back in the car. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta make it to the hotel by 7 p.m. And you're like, right. man, we just really missed out on some of the great stuff there. And I, I, to me, that was the biggest downfall. And it's part directing, mostly script, which is ironic yeah. since it won best. It best is. Best. I, I mean, I wrote about that, just the idea of the script winning best screenplay, which, you know, like, I mean, I think they wanted to reward this yeah. young, this new director. And, and, you know, this is a place that they could give her an award. But the script to me is the weakest yes. part of it. Structurally, well, it's... well, 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 you, you're going to say something profound, but just to keep this light, um, I would say that the weakest part of the movie was Christopher Mintz's uh, place. His, his growing up from being the dorky kid <laughs> into him uh, being a predator in this movie. That was pretty painful. <laughs> then the script. <laughs> well, to me, the the problem with the script is I, I from the beginning. So the film has a premise, and the premise is basically it's making its thesis is that we live in a sort of rape culture. Yep. Right. And the film certainly paints every male in the movie as a negative character no. at, at best. There, there's one that I think avoided the, that who rape. her dad. No, her dad didn't. Her what, dad, did I when they're it? at, yes. Her dad at the dinner table was talking after 
spoiler alert, everybody, after uh, Cassie is dead, her dad talks about, he sort of throws her under the bus and it's just like, oh, well, you know, she was, this is, this is who she was, you know, and he totally does not back her up. It isn't like, I want my daughter back. We have to find, he's sort of like, uh, uh-uh. uh, so it's weird. Even the dad. See, I, yeah. I, I, I read it differently. Like I, you, that is a, a valid take, but I, I know friends that have had really bad, you know, they, their, their kids struggled with like massive addiction and ultimate suicides. So I've seen, and heard stories and watched the emotional pain of a lifetime of watching your kid make bad decisions and go down a road. And I felt, I felt when I saw that scene, it was more just an acknowledgement of like, they had done and tried everything. And really this was just a sad inevitability that they couldn't get through to her and she's 30 and can make her own decisions. I felt it more of the emptiness from the parents than it was about him not caring but i think both uh, that's that's a great part about a movie is when you can have two people watch the same scene and come to radically different conclusions that makes for <laughs> that usually well, makes for great great you know discussion but that's how at, i read it at best though so the dad is the only one the only yeah. male that that we could are even argue about but at best he is not heroic in that Correct. scene yes and so that's that's the point whereas and to be fair to the film a lot of women are not heroic in this movie either. A lot of women are bad. So Alison Brie plays a, a fellow med school student who is sort of shown to be not particularly uh, good. Um, Connie Britton plays a, a college dean who is sort of exposed uh, as being less than thoughtful when it comes to women's issues. So the thesis of the film is this sort of rape culture of which includes both men and women um, being sort of collaborators with it. The problem though, is the structure of the script. It, 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 it doesn't reinforce that thesis. It actually undermines it and unintentionally. So it's not like, Oh, we're being provocative and we're going to, you know, undermine our own thesis. The film, first of all, is 20 minutes too long. Um, it is, it is. There, it's it's well just just from plot structure right there's a point where again spoiler alert cassie gets murdered and she she does this she tries to get revenge on the guy who raped her friend and it's his bachelor party and she ends up the, the tables get turned on her and she ends up getting uh strangled and then the friend the, the guy and his friend take her out into the woods and burn her body. And there's a shot where she has a necklace that she used to share with her friend who died. And that's the, you see the necklace in her hand as she's being burned, uh, her body's being burned. The movie should have ended right there. And by ending right there, that means that the thesis of this rape culture, which is intolerable yet undefeatable, and it's so ingrained, it's systemic, that reinforces that point of here's this girl who's trying to do something to avenge her friend, to right wrongs, and she just becomes another body, right? Thrown on the fire. But the film spends the next 20 minutes well, that, like it's a Law and Order episode well, where everything say- gets ni- neatly tied up and the cops come and she has these texts that you can send yeah. on time delivery, which I've never heard of before, by the way. No, I didn't they, know that no, was they, possible. They, ex- they exist. You can you basically people who are big <laughs> social media influencers, they can schedule things so that it's, you know, it looks like it's always fresh, but, you know, they produce a bunch of stuff and then push it out. So that that's definitely real. But I think I think what you just described was frozen, Barry. Oh, I'm frozen. How am I frozen? Hang on. Hang on. We got we got problems. We have problems. Um, We're back. What happened? I don't know what happened. But anyway, I was gonna say, I think I think your description of, you know, when it went from the the burning of the body into the, the, you know, the last kind of the climax of the movie, that was their pin on the map. They had to go there. And I would modify. I don't think the movie should have ended with the, you know, the hand burning with the piece. You should have went to the wedding. And then the audience would be like, oh, what's coming next? As if like this movie, like she's going to somehow come back from the grave 
yeah. and the wedding should have happened and everything should have been happy and these people get to live normal happy lives and you realize right. like, you end it with the credits rolling with just their wedding photos yeah just their wedding right? photos yeah and, and you're because, just they get to go on to a full life right. with zero consequences and that and would have just been like people would have been enraged and it would yes. have been like oh well it's like it, it's it's like a david lynch movie so right. that you you see the pictures of like this this guy who's probably a successful doctor and married and yep. has his perfect life meanwhile he's raped one raped one woman killed another and it's just yeah, uh, yeah perfect exactly yeah <laughs> so but no we don't get that we get it it turns into and and i was shocked at how trite that final 15 minutes was i mean that's brutal it it is like a law and order episode where it's like oh we got to catch the bad guys everybody's got to be everything's got to be tied up in a bow it's it's really <laughs> Well, discouraging. I, I, well, I think what it was, and I could be wrong, and this is dangerous to say because it's a guy in today's time hypothesizing what a woman's mind might think about it. But I feel like this, in the way, I feel like this was cathartic for women. Like every woman who's had a bad experience wishes they could somehow seek justice and, like you know, you know, make the the man rue the day that they ever messed with him. And I feel that's what this this was the the carrot for that audience to come in and so this is what they're waiting for the same way if you go see you know die hard on a bus <laughs> you know when, you, when you're sold a certain thing you can't then have the movie not have the die hard on the bus otherwise you're like wait what did they sell so that's what they were selling in the marketing of this movie is you had to have the revenge of the lady scorned and obviously they tried to think it was different because the woman who was really scorned died and her friend had to step up and avenge her um but i think i think to me the how well orchestrated the very end of the movie was in terms of her getting revenge and making sure that you know no no i was left undotted and t crossed sort of thing is when she went in and took you know drugged the entire bachelor party took the guy upstairs and handcuffed him if it was that orchestrated, we needed to see her show that the guy could get one arm out. Like that just seemed like a total freakish thing. Yeah. That he got undone and then it all happened. And you're like, that needed to be like somehow set up. So the audience is like, Oh my God, he's going to get out. He's going to get out. And then when he does, you realize that she just basically sacrifices herself. But now it's just like, well, she's got a different plan, but she's not right. gonna die. But then, it's, and you're like, well, now the control isn't there. And I think, I think the allure, whether right or wrong, of this vengeance style movie, is the fact that she can think every step ahead and always be, you know, always orchestrated in the in the proper way. And I feel like that that scene, that moment of that scene was now like, wait, now now I don't get what's happening. Like, is he in control? Was this part of the plan? And it just, it muddied the waters where then I was like, by the end, I'm like, well, she thought that far ahead, but she handcuffed him and it was just confusing. And I was like, nah, this this seems like a stretch to me. Yeah, and, and what I didn't like about that scene, the, th the points you make are perfectly valid. And I agree that like, that scene could have been executed so much better yeah. with the audience feeling that thing of like, we're seeing something that Cassie isn't seeing that, oh, he can get his hands out. And you know what I mean? Like the tension could have been built much higher. And the other thing about it is, and, and this is maybe just a, a taste thing, but that scene is so antiseptic. It's so clean. Yeah, I agree with that. And that's uncomfortable to me because we're watching a woman be murdered. And I understand the tone of the film is it's a dark comedy. And, the, the, you know, it, part of the appeal of the film is that it's this dark subject matter. And yet the aesthetic of it and, and the, the style, the look of it, it's this sort of bubblegum uh, pop sensibility to it, which is actually a, a wonderful dichotomy, you know, that yeah. contrast. But this scene, I felt like it should have been the moment where it becomes so real that 
and you, it could have been you don't it doesn't have to be gratuitously violent but just if you could have seen the look on Cassie's face. Yeah, the fact that she was hidden the whole time. And honestly, right. the weakest acting is like her arms flailing around. Like, she, yeah. She, she, yeah. Again, I, was she fighting? Was she just waiting to be smothered because that right. was, was her plan? Like, I, I, you know, I'm like, I don't know. And I happened. get it. Even if, if, if the sort of meta thing of it is that she's sacrificing herself, yeah. that's okay. But there has to be that one, even if it's a split second yeah. of that look in her eye of oh my god i'm dying and to me it's less about the dying i think she needed to feel and really oh did i lose you hang on mike mikey Uh uh-oh this might be a first all right i think our technical glitch is over so to me I wanted to not necessarily see like her fear of dying, but like it would connect why she was willing to sacrifice her entire adult life because she understood what her friend went through. And like, you didn't get that. It was just like, she was almost too perfect that my friend was humiliated, you know, taken advantage of demeaned, you know, everything, all the different terms that went into the awfulness that happened to her friend, but yet she didn't live it. So therefore, there was never that connection. You're just like, wow, you're doing this just out of the fact. I mean, who doesn't want a friend like that? But I also, if I was, if I was her friend, if I'm, tra- if I'm tragically taken advantage of and I choose to take my life, I don't want my friend to basically be, stop being a human. Like you know what I mean? Like that's not. Right. You're not well, really, that, that's you're what not really the friends. Friend. That's what the friend's mom says to her. Correct. Yeah. You know, it's like, hey, you know, we, we got to move on from this, but. You know, to, to your point about it being, uh, you know, the revenge thing and her being w- women feeling empowered by her, you know, winning out in the end. That's the part that really sort of diminishes the film in my eyes, because then it just becomes it's like a Charles Bronson movie. It's like Death Wish. You know, it's like, oh, we're going to get the bad people here in the inner city that are whatever killed my wife, yeah. <laughs> you know, that whole thing. and so. I think that ends up diminishing it a bit. And that one scene, the, the scene where she dies, I just, I think that was poorly executed. And again, if, if you could just see her and see the range of emotions going on her face, it could even be the fact that she's pleased by this, right? Yeah. That like, she's happy to sacrifice herself and her, her own pain and grief will be over. Um, so that, that bothered me. Um, and the, the reason it bothered me the most the, the, after that, when they do the wedding and the police come and all that stuff, it just felt so, it undermined the, the thesis, the premise that, oh, there's this rape culture that is, you know, just systemic. Well, the, the police are coming. Yeah. <laughs> You're dead and gone and the police are coming to arrest all these people and they're going to be punished. And to me, that changes it from an art house film to like this very conventional hollywood story and i just thought oh that's that's unfortunate you know that it could have been much more complex and complicated and and profound and ended up being rather trite um you know so that that was my biggest issue was that final uh, you know 20 minutes i think it is or so um i, I mean that i mean don't disagree with anything you said, but I think for me, it goes back to what is it they were trying to say? Like, is it, was the number one thing just showing that rape culture exists and that there's no punishment and until we deal with it, you know, women are being sacrificed and the men are set free to have great lives without consequence. Is that your main goal? Is the main goal about like, if someone does you know, commit suicide or you lose them? Do you just move on and not talk about them? Do you live in a way that honors them? You know, are you trying to make change in the world, you know, so that you, you know, you're trying to impact these men to have them think like, what are these things going on? Because it went from her being a loner on this mission to, you know, constantly expose that all nice guys are just pretending to be nice to rape people 
you know, at these things. And then she starts having this relationship and then she starts to open up, but then it turns out, oh yeah, but he's bad too. You know, you have all this stuff that like, I'm like, where, you know, is, does she start with like, hey, this is what I want, but then it gets more complex. It's not as black and white. And then she has to deal with that. And this movie was like, no, it's always black and white. It's never, yeah. we never, we never doubt ourselves. We never do anything, which is fine. I mean, I watch a lot of movies that are like that, that, you know, but I think on a subject like this, that is far more nuanced that needs to be like addressed. And, you know, I thought, I thought one of the more interesting, I didn't think it was a well done scene, but I think it's interesting. The whole scene with, uh, um, Connie being the, the, the mm. professor, yeah. the, the the fact that the women would be complicit with that it's kind of funny because usually women are like by the time women break the glass ceiling they're there to help other women and then they're not but then is that a condemnation on her character or is that a condemnation on women who succeed like there was all kinds of things that started popping up that you're like oh well what are they trying to say with this because that seems to be <laughs> that seems to be different than this and is it just when you as you age the only time that you're pure and smart and worthy is when you're a vulnerable young 20 something year old woman that's out right. drinking and partying. And then after that, you're just a soulless, you know, abomination of society. And I just thought that they kept raising these questions and then they just moved on or dismissed them. And I'm like, man, I feel like this, I felt like the richness of the things you could touch on uh, yeah. was there. And they just, they just never wanted to, you know, it's like you're at the ocean and you keep going up to your ankles you're like well, your knees <laughs> maybe <laughs> right. yeah. quick and, and come out and warm up again uh but they never did yeah I, I feel like that happened a bunch of times that the sort of there are i think there's like three sequences one with allison brie one with connie Britton, and one with alfred molina who plays a lawyer that are supposed to be sort of um stops along the way you know, the check marks off her to-do list. And I felt like they never really worked well enough. Um, well, I mean, you know, in some ways, I think it worked against them. I thought the scene when she, quote-unquote, stole Connie's daughter. Yeah. Like, yeah, it turned out all right. But you're like, you're messed up. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like well, it's see, my, my, my thing is the opposite of that is that she perfectly plans these things, but then they don't really happen. You know, yeah. so the Alison Brie thing, she doesn't actually get drunk and have sex with someone else. And Connie Britton's daughter isn't actually in danger. And um, uh, Alfred Molina doesn't actually get hurt. Yeah. And it's just, and it's like, well, why can't we have a main character that is complicated? That well, that, that's what I'm saying. Every everything was safe. It was just yeah, again, yeah. It, there there was no, I mean, it, what would be interesting? Again, I, I'm thinking out loud. But if if Connie's character gets to the point where then she's going to cover up, you know, because she's not quite sure if men are good or bad. If if um, Carrie's character would not have been as black and white with like our are all men bad or just most men bad or some men bad? Because if she didn't have the belief that all men were bad, she could leave Connie's daughter with the frat house mm. and, and be okay with, I don't know if she will or won't be. It's not guaranteed. She will. And it's not guaranteed. She won't. Right. You better yeah. go get your daughter because that's what we deal with every. And then, then you're like, that's messed up, but also it's not insane. But the way they pitched it where she believed everybody was bad had she actually left her daughter there, it was like she was a partner in raping an underage girl, which obviously would not go over well in this movie to this audience. So they couldn't. But that's where when you get if if on that, like, let's say that, you know, that scene happened as she was falling for this guy and realizing like, hey, all guys aren't bad. And then you didn't in turn make him all bad. It would open up a window for her to make a gray decision that could have been really awful. Yeah. But you could have understood that, well, she wasn't just being like a sadistic, crazy person where when you watch the scene, you believe that she believed all men would do this. So if she did. Now she's basically no better than the man she's arguing against. Right. Therefore, it takes that, out the option of her doing anything. So then it diminishes the whole. I mean, that scene when you're like, I dropped her off at the frat house. Everyone's like, 
oh, that's not good. Right. I mean, when I didn't go to college, but one thing I, I went to the, you know, the frat houses and I'm like, these are exactly the men that I hate. Like, I don't <laughs> yeah. like, I wouldn't be friends with any of these people. And that's what everybody talks about. So, I mean, it's not, it's not, a, it's not a secret. Yeah. If you're talking about, Hey, would you rather take a blue collar worker that didn't go to college or a frat boy when they're 22 and leave your, your, your kid with them? Most people be like, I'll take the blue collar worker over a frat boy any day. Any day. Yeah. And, and you know, like, again, this is getting into the weeds with it, but like if, Carrie Mulligan's character had um, maybe Alison Bree, something did happen to her, right? Yeah. Or maybe she does. The, the audience would feel fine if something happened to Alfred Molina, right? Yeah. Um, because, oh, he's this bad guy. But she could feel conflicted over it. And then yeah. when her time comes where she sacrifices herself, the audience isn't like, oh, she's this martyr doing this it's like no she realizes she has some very poor capability yeah she's skin in the game and she she has her own sin you know and so that 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 right there that right there shows that you didn't track the pin in the map the pin (laughs) in the map was not that women yeah that was that was not part of this story i'm sorry (laughs) yeah i mean it's true but that i mean that's the thing that's always appealed to me about what particularly art house films is that you can have the anti-hero that is still a hero right in in a lot of ways that if you think if you think about the allison brie setup right so you have what happened where nothing happened you just made her freak out and then it is what it is. So it's very, it doesn't leave a lot of, you know, punch to the gut. You could have then had the alternate scenarios of either a, she hires a guy that she knows will, you know, take advantage of her. And it, that's sadistic and mean, but she feels justified because of what, you know, she did younger. So like, this is payback, or she could hire a guy state and make sure that she checked him out and he's not going to do that. But then it reinforces their thing. Like all men are bad because he backstabs her. Right. Right. Something. And that wasn't part of the plan, but then you're like, well, now am I complicit in that? Because I kind of believe that all men were bad. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting take as opposed to like, no, I have control of everything and I will play the puppeteer master. And only things that are bad are things that I'm not in control of, but things I'm in control of are totally fine. Well, here's the thing about what the, what the film actually is. It's a revenge fantasy. Yeah. And the key to that phrase isn't revenge. It's fantasy. It's fantasy. And which well, is I, like, if it's just a revenge movie, that's a different story and a more interesting one, by the way. If you have to morally compromise and ethically compromise yourself in order to get revenge, well, that's a goddamn good movie right there, right? <laughs> Where you're like, if, when she comes out of Alfred Molina's house yeah. and Molina is contrite, Right. He, he feels horrible about what he's done and he's been suffering all these years. And if she comes out and she says to the guy she's hired, she's she shakes her head and she's like, oh. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Don't kill him. <laughs> right. It's like the Godfather, like, you know, well, you know, your daughter's still alive. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> that wouldn't be justice. Yeah. And, well, hurt them then hurt them and make her suffer and make them suffer as she suffers. So. That to me, there are just a lot of lost opportunities along the way. And I think it's just fundamentally an unsound film in that sense, and, and dramatically, and that's disappointing. But to, to sort of spin it, the, where the film works really well is as a rom-com, a twisted rom-com with... The Bo Burnham character, which is this guy that she went to medical school yep. with, um, and they connect and they have she's he asks her out and it's this whole they have this relationship. That's the best part of the movie. Yes, that whole sequence it's it's a beautiful take on the silliness of rom coms. In and of itself, it's a cute little rom com, and then it takes this dark twisted turn, and you're like, "Thank you." <laughs> that's that's what i'm here for that and i and i think bo burnham who is not somebody i ever consider is really good in this and i think he's a great match with carrie mulligan and they have great chemistry and it's like a really really 
interesting film. And, and I wish that was the movie. And that aesthetically, that's what this film is. Again, it's this, this bubblegum sort of style to it. And I'm like, well, if you're going to do that, you should do that. Because the other stuff you're doing just feels so hollow and empty and frivolous, you know, where you're just like, uh, you know, okay. I'm going to play, I'm going to play the, the bad executive role. Okay. And you get to make this movie. So you can make the movie that was made as it stands now. Okay. Or you can change the script so that it is just a revenge movie, no fantasy, and there's no payoff for your core audience of this. Like there is justice and I can, I can, I can get around bad things. Which one makes you more money? That's interesting. I think in this day and age, you could actually probably make the same amount of money doing both. Because if that's this the did, case, then they, this then didn't they... make a ton of money, right? <laughs> as we said. Well, it didn't. But here, it didn't. Here, let, let me ask you this. Let's say that let's just snap our fingers. Coronavirus is gone. We, we, we don't have trepidation going into theaters or, or large groups of people. And it's back to what it was in 2019. Let's just yeah. let's just pretend that. Mm-hmm. Is this, how much more money does this movie make? I bet you this is a 40 to $50 million grossing movie. Yeah, I would agree with that. So, I mean, I, I think the, the underperformance is little to do with the movie and more just the fact that like no one's sitting at home paying between six to $20 to rent movies that are fringe movies. Yeah. Like, you know, if it's Congress right. is a Godzilla, if it's Tom Hanks, you know, if it's wonder woman, you know, those movies will get you to part with, but like anything outside of that top, top tier, if it's not on a streamer or added to HBO, you just don't get the revenue. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I would be curious to see if just, you know, because there's this whole cultural wave at the moment of, you know, girl power movies. And we've talked about them a lot. And, you know, a girl power movie is not, contrary to what people may believe it doesn't make it inherently good or inherently bad it's just right. a, a sort of label of a film you can be like okay that's what it is so this is a girl power movie now if it were just a revenge movie it could still be a girl power movie yeah which would still uh, draw a lot of attention you know so you know like uh margot robbie did the you know she's done suicide squad and, and the other thing um uh, birds of prey birds of prey i yeah, like this right. the other thing the she other thing other thing i, I was thinking yeah. i tanya at first but no it's <laughs> birds of prey <laughs> well i tanya is a great movie but it is a great think, movie like harley i couldn't think if it was titled harley quinn or whatever the hell it was called it was i so, think it was, <laughs> I think it was a long title at one point <laughs> oh that's right it had that long title first so but you know there's that and then there's wonder woman and like those sorts of movies and then there was the uh the Charlize Theron movie that we talked about, the the Netflix film, where she's this like undying, yes, whatever thing, um, you know. So, girl power movies exist. I think as a girl power movie, as a revenge fantasy, it, it is what it is. It, it 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 succeeds in its own way, I guess. I think as a revenge film, as a girl power movie, it's a better movie. It's more nuanced and complex. And I still think it would draw the same crowd. So I think it, it, it could still make that 40 to 50 million in, um, you know, if there were no coronavirus and, and COVID. Maybe I'm wrong. I totally get why studio execs would take the safe route, of course, and be like, oh, but, well. Yeah, and I think this was less driven by the demands of the studio and more by, you know, the people who made it yeah director and well hold on hold on here's here's my idea this just popped into my head it's perfect so uh joker right joker yo i i I know i know i don't need joker dark as fuck yep and polarizing as hell people loved it they hated it arguments the whole thing now it's a little different because of course it's ip and the character and all that stuff but like (laughs) the most famous (laughs) <laughs> Archvillain yeah. in history. Yep. I'll right. Try that. But you could make promising young woman as basically uh Joker for a rom com, right? Yep. And it's so it's a revenge movie, not a revenge fantasy. 
you could have the same cast, every same people involved. And it's not going to make a billion dollars because it's not, of course, about this famous character. But it could make 40 to 50 million and it would get nominated for stuff. Right? I agree. I agreed, but I think I think the it goes back to the pinning on the map. The whole the whole reason that people got excited on board and wanted to do this is it was the revenge fantasy. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if the same kind of creators behind it would have been into it. I think it would have made a better movie. And I'm one that prefers. I really like black and white movies. I like, you know, a hero being a hero and the bad people being a bad person. But in this movie, it just felt, it felt like it took something that is a real problem. Now we can debate how big of a problem it is. You know, is it every guy is a rapist or is it a certain section, all that. But I mean, nobody will doubt that bad situations happen all the time like that. And I would love to have a discussion for how do we how do we diminish that? How do we shrink that number as close to zero as possible? What what are the you know facts facts factors that you know check the box that set up these situations? And so if you're going to be messy and go, wow, this is very complex, we should really talk about it. And I feel like this movie said, hey, this is happening all the time out there, but we won't deal with any of it. And we'll just the only way to deal with it is having a fantasy that we could in a movie wrap it all up in a nice bow and you're kind of like well i would prefer for the next woman that's in that situation to not not have to be like well someday i'll watch a movie that will make me deal with this in a cathartic manner i would prefer to be like hey maybe we can just avoid the situation from the start and i think that because it's i feel like when i'm watching like die hard how many people get captured by terrorists in a building very few but if you talk to women, how many are put in a bad situation where they are either physically harmed or almost physically harmed? That's a very high number. <laughs> like, I don't yeah. know if it's one in four, but I mean, like, that's that's a real problem. And therefore, it's not as fun to fantasize about when I run around and drop bombs down an elevator shaft. You're like, Ugh. like, I know a bunch of people that this has happened to. And I don't think I would make light of that. I wouldn't say die hard on a bus if one in four people... <laughs> we're dying or, or, or left in these uh, horrible situations. So I think, right. I think it would be fun to come up with solutions or at least kind of deal with it in a, in a real manner. And I, that's my thought. I agree. And I think, um, you know, that's what makes, that's what appeals to me anyway about the art house, right? Is that you can make those nuanced, nuanced complicated, complex films and, look at those things truthfully and yet um they can be entertaining they can be you know interesting i mean look at parasite right yeah of this it's it's really a movie about class and social structure and all these things and yet you're like oh my god this is so great and so those things can be done and done exceedingly well and successfully you make money doing it um I, I guess that's my main issue with Promising Young Woman, which again is a film I enjoyed and, and I, I recommend people see. Yes. But it's it's not a great movie. Um, I it, think it, it succeeded it, for what they wanted, but like most of our complaints when movies are at least done well and aren't just a, an abysmal train wreck, is we see, we see, you know, it's like someone bought this beautiful, you know, piece of land and they built their house on a nice part of the land. But if you turn around, you're like, oh, there's an ocean view backed by mountains. This is where we should have built built our house. And I feel like this movie had the real estate to put an all-time great home on. And they picked a beautiful spot on that property, but not the best part on the property. Yeah, I agree. And it's it's just it's it's disappointing in a sense as a critic, just because it's it it's become so conventional and you're just like, oh man, you had the, you had the shot. It was all lined up. You should have just <laughs> taken it. What are you doing? But at, I, in my review that I wrote about it, the movie it reminded me of was uh, Falling Down with Michael Douglas, Ooh, which you know, is, movie. yeah, I gotta watch that. I haven't seen that since it came out like a, a lifetime ago. <laughs> I, I, I think it's an easy pull, but I don't remember if you like this movie or not. But uh, uh, Grand Torino. It was like a, uh, it was like a mix yeah. of falling down in Grand Torino, where Grand Torino had a better 
you felt better about the payoff because it felt like you were defeating evil and the good people were winning because there was no other option for them. Whereas like this was inverted where you're like, is this a good option? You know, does, right. does getting the guy to go to prison to giving up your life and your friend's life? Is that like a trade at a poker table, you know, or at a chessboard that you would do? And I don't know if that is necessarily the case, you know, so it's not, it's not as clear, like a victory. You're like, okay. But like, that seems like a really tall sacrifice for that gain. And you wonder, could you found other ways to make the gain and, or maybe that guy gets off, but maybe your life could then be used to make sure less guys get off or preventing it in the first place, which should be our goal. Um, and it just, to me, I was like, ah, oh. Oh, like, right. There could right. have been more. There could have been more. Yeah, and the thing that kept me, you know, going through the whole movie, of course, and why I, I think it's worth seeing is Carrie Mulligan. I, I think she's tremendous in it, and you know, it has its moments, and and uh, it definitely kept me uh, guessing. I was surprised at different twists yeah, and turns. Absolutely. Um, sometimes they were good surprises. Sometimes they weren't such good surprises. But, you know, it's definitely worth seeing. And I'll be fascinated to see Emerald Fennell's, uh, her next films. Um, well, I think she goes right in the category with, like, the director of The Vast of Night. Like, she's on on that list of, like, I want to see what comes next. next. Yeah, I was, too. If I was yeah. an executive, she comes to me in the next project, I want to make sure that I'm there bidding on it right away. You know, oh, probably yeah. not going to yeah. bat a thousand but she's, she's got chops and uh, I'm very curious to see, you know, I want to make sure she's got enough, you know, leash to make some bizarre choices and try some things and not just be like, well, that one didn't work. You know, give, give her some room to explore because I think, I think if, if she finds the right environment, I think she's got a very promising future. Yeah. I, I hope she doesn't jump to something too big. Um, I, I'd like to see Wonder her Woman do three. A- Right. I'd like to see her do another or that Harley Quinn movie you keep talking about. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. I'd like to see her do another movie of this scale just to get it done and to have it under her belt so that she can then start. I'm just telling you right now, there is no universe of which yeah. whatever you said this is three to five million and five to five ten, Oscar yeah. nominations and Academy yeah. Award win. There is no way she's doing another movie for three to five million. If they oh, read this movie tomorrow, it'd be a $25 million movie. <laughs> that's true. Same Jesus. with everything. Just that's how it works. Uh, we'll see. And, you know, Falling Down is not a great movie, by the way. Um, no, it's not. It was. <laughs> it's, it's an interesting movie. Yeah, it's but... an interesting premise, but not in. And your favorite filmmaker of all time made it, Joel Schumacher. Um, I mean... <laughs> I, no Batman and Robin. <laughs> <laughs> old old shoe, the old shoe, my friend. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, any closing thoughts on Promising Young Woman, Barry? I would like people to see it, um, and I think I think for those that the preview makes it look much more dark and violent than the movie is. Yes. You know, and I think that that part I actually liked that. I didn't, you don't need to see all the horrific deeds. You know, it's kind of like they talk about with the sex scenes. Sometimes the imagination is more powerful than what you show. And so I thought they did a nice job on that, but I think it makes it more accessible. I just wish there was better meaning to, to take away from the movie, but I, I think that people should absolutely watch it. Yeah, I agree. I think people should watch it. It's, I would consider it sort of a, uh, an art house misfire but uh an interesting movie nonetheless um definitely worth spending the time on um especially if you can see it for free uh that's always the best move but um yeah i I recommend people see it and uh carrie mulligan's fantastic in it and she is deserving of the accolades and i hope she works more and gets to do um characters that are interesting and intriguing and complicated and as opposed to just uh british and (laughs) you know uh fainting british women is is sort of her (laughs) 
her style, which I, I can't, I don't think we did talk about the dig. I did watch it, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have to, maybe we'll, maybe we'll go on yeah. a, mulligan, a mulligan craze here. We'll see. We'll do, we'll do the mulligan papers and see what happens. Uh, okay. So everybody go see Promising Young Woman. Check it out. It's worth seeing. It's not great, but it's good. And uh, thank you so much for listening to Living California Field, Minnesota. We appreciate it. And we'll see you next time.